Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 19 this morning. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Matthew 11, 1 through 19. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John... And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. I'm actually going to go ahead and read, uh, skip down to verse 25 and read uh, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Let's pray before we consider it further this morning. Lord Jesus, these are your words for us this morning. And so we ask an amazing thing. We ask that you would be here through your Holy Spirit as their teacher. That you would teach us, in spite of my sins as the speaker, in spite of our sins as those hearing, Jesus, that you would do what your word has promised, which is go out and accomplish things. Go out and, and be powerful. Do not return void. Jesus, we pray that you would do that because you've promised that you would. And so we ask it this morning in your name. 
Amen. There is a, a book from, uh, that was published in 1973, and I'm, I'm guessing that not many of you are going to uh, own this one or know it, hopefully. That's my illustration kind of counts on that. And the book is called Rosie Greer's Needlepoint for Men. And so I want, you to, I want you to begin to imagine, build a profile in your mind of what the author of this book looks like. There might be a couple of you that know. But what does this person look like physically? Uh, what, uh, what kind of things do they do? Uh, what do they enjoy? And let's see if it matches the actual profile of, of the author of Rosie Greer's Needlepoint for Men. Or so if you have your picture in your mind, what you expect this person to be like, let me give it to you. Rosie Greer. He, yes, he, is 6'5", 285 pounds. He played 11 years in the NFL as a defensive tackle. He was two-time pro bowler, an original member of the L.A. Rams' fearsome foursome. And among his hobbies, oh, wait, one more excellent fact. After his NFL career, right after being an NFL star, he was a bodyguard and apparently... He was the guy that took the gun from Robert Kennedy's assassin and subdued him. Okay, tough guy. And among his hobbies are things like needlepoint, crocheting, and macrame. Probably not what you expected. Certainly not what I expected. And why is that? Well, because we have to admit that certainly there's nothing wrong with those things, right? Certainly not wrong for an NFL a player, tough guy to be involved in those activities, but it's just not what you would expect. You would expect them to be involved in, you know, probably things like hunting and fishing and uh, other sports, but not something delicate and precise like that, like needlepoint. But it's not Rosie Greer that's wrong, is it? He's not wrong for that. It's actually our expectations of him that are wrong. It's just who he is. And so our passage this morning, I think, actually deals with something very similar. It deals with our expectations of Jesus. Uh, This last semester, in the fall semester at RUF, uh, we spent our time studying through the Gospel of Matthew. And we basically looked at the theme of how Matthew shows that Jesus is the fulfillment. That he's the fulfillment of the great hero that God had promised. The great hero that God had promised to come and save his people. And so at this point in Jesus' life and ministry, in chapter 11, what we begin to see is that his public ministry begins to meet some opposition. More and more the opposition against him mounts. And part of the reason that people are sort of pushing back against him is because he's not doing and saying things that are in line with what they expect him to do and say. And so our passage this morning is the first glimpse of that opposition, and it comes actually from somebody that you might not expect. And so this morning I want us to look at three things very quickly along the lines of expectations about Jesus. First, we're going to look at wrong expectations. Secondly, we'll look at right expectations where we find them. And then third, right expectations, what they are. What are the right expectations we should have of Jesus? So first, wrong expectations. And we actually see a lot of them here in this passage. 
Look in verse 2. Basically, we have John the Baptist is in prison, and he sends some of his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you really the one that we've been looking for, or should we wait for somebody else? Are you really the hero? Are you really the Messiah? Or should we look for another? And at first glance, that may not seem like such a big deal, but I want you to think for a second about who John the Baptist was. John the Baptist, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, is the one that, that actually baptized Jesus Christ after arguing with him that he was not worthy to do that and that Jesus should be baptizing him. And that at that baptism, he heard the voice of the Father say, This is my Son who I'm well pleased. And he saw something like uh, the form of a dove, the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove. So it's that guy that, ex- that had that experience that's now doubting if Jesus is really the one. He's wondering if he really is the one that's come to save the world. And so now why do you think that he might be wondering that? And I think it's pretty obvious that it's because John is sitting in prison. John is sitting in prison and yet Jesus is is ministering to people and and claiming that he is the Messiah, that he's the king that's come. The one that's come to vindicate his people. And yet here he sits in prison. It doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to fit with with, with what he expects of Jesus. He expects Jesus, he expects the Messiah to show up and to bring judgment on those that are oppressing his people. To free the slaves, or free those imprisoned. Looking for somebody that's going to overthrow the Roman government and end the oppression. And so it just doesn't make sense. But it's not just John that we see with bad expectations in this passage. Jesus says really that everybody has wrong expectations of him. And he's probably in particular keying in on the Pharisees. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, Jesus says, essentially, you don't like John, uh, the Baptist, because he was different from normal people. He lived out in the desert, he ate weird stuff, he dressed weird, he didn't drink alcohol. And so you basically looked at him and said, that guy is possessed. And then you don't like me, because I'm too much like normal people. And I hang out with normal everyday sinners, and I eat and drink with them, and I identify with them. And so you look at me, and... uh, And you think, this guy's just like one of them. He's too normal. And so then Jesus gives an illustration of what what these people are like. And and I think by extension what we're like oftentimes. Jesus compares their entire generation to kids that are sitting in the marketplace. And they're basically uh, playing pretend. Um, And uh, basically they're, they're children that are upset with their playmates that their playmates are not doing what they want them to do. And they basically say, like, we played the song for you. We wanted to pretend to play wedding, and we played the song, but you didn't dance. And then they wanted to pretend to play funeral, and so we sang the dirge, but you didn't, uh, you didn't play along. And so basically they pout. And if you have kids or have been around a kid or have ever been a kid, you know that that's a great illustration. That's what kids do, Right? Kids want things to go their way, and certainly still even as adults, we want things to go our way, and when things don't fit in with our expectations, we pout about it and we get upset. 
It's a great illustration. And so Jesus is, is, is teaching us. He's trying to teach us that he just doesn't act like we want him to. That Jesus doesn't dance when we play a song. He's not here to do our bidding, so to speak. And it's not Jesus that's wrong, but it's our expectations of Jesus that are wrong. And so I think it's fair to say that if John the Baptist and lots of people here in this day could have wrong expectations of Jesus, then we probably do too. And at its heart, I want to suggest to you that it's really nothing more than than old-fashioned idolatry. Our wrong expectations of Jesus are really nothing more than, than our worshiping something that we've created. Because we all, whether you're a Christian or not here this morning, we all have expectations of where we, of where we expect to find true life and true satisfaction in life. We all have, basically as sinners, we all default to looking at God and thinking, you can be God if, or I expect God to do this, and then I'll follow along. If you're a Christian, have you ever thought about what you expect from Jesus? Uh, we tend to have different expectations, certainly, but I think that we typically tend to think things like, Jesus, Jesus is really only good if... And so our expectations really get challenged when we see, when we see that Jesus doesn't uh, deliver us from that habitual sin that we have in our lives. And we think if, if Jesus really were good, if he really were God, then he would take care of that. He would fix that. If Jesus really, if Jesus really were God, then I wouldn't go through the pain that I go through. If Jesus really is good, then why doesn't he save my coworker or friend? Why doesn't he why did he let my my friend die? Maybe we expect Jesus to make us feel more spiritual, to grow us, to sanctify us uh, in ways that we expect. To make us a good person. Uh, we expect Jesus to make our church grow or our ministry grow on campus. And when those things don't happen, we begin to think, I'm not so sure that Jesus is good, maybe. But it's because we have wrong expectations. And certainly we can do it with other things other than Jesus. If you're not a Christian, uh, certainly Christians do it too, but uh, if, if you're not a Christian, you might tend to do it with something else. Tend to take anything else, right, as a human being, to look to and say, you're going to be God to me, and I want you to do it in this way. To basically look at anything, money, sex, power, uh, influence, um, uh, ability at your job. And basically say, I'm going to worship you and you're going to bless me, but you're going to do it in this way. I'll give my life to you if you give me what I want. If you give me the acceptance, the popularity, the fill in the blank. And so hopefully what I, what I want us to see here for just a, these couple of minutes is that our expectations of Jesus might well be wrong. 
So secondly, we need to look at right expectations. What should we expect from Jesus? So, uh, but secondly, I want to look at where do we find them first. Where do we find, where should we look for right expectations? Look in verse 4. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Um, Jesus, certainly Jesus here gives uh, John's disciples, so to speak, the right answer. Uh, he gives them, what should you expect? This is what you should expect. But I want to take just a second and notice where that comes from. Because I think, that's, I think this is fascinating. Jesus doesn't just give him the right answer. These are actually uh, snippets from the Old Testament that Jesus has sort of strung together. Most of them from Isaiah, uh, scattered throughout. Uh, Isaiah 29, 35, 53, uh, 61, 1 and 2 in particular. They're descriptions of what the Messiah came to do, that the Messiah would, come, would do when he comes to save his people. And that's what Jesus gives to John. In other words, Jesus points John back to his Bible. He tells John, if you're wondering if I'm the one, if I'm acting the way I should act, he says, go, go look at the scriptures. And he does actually the same thing with the people standing there. And I think this is fascinating in verse 7. He addresses the people and he starts talking about John. And he says, basically, think about why you were interested in going out to see John. So what, what did you go out there to see? Uh, a reed blowing in the wind? Or uh, a, fancy, a fancy dresser? No, because John was certainly not that. Why did you go out there to see John? He says, because he was a prophet. And what does a prophet do? A prophet speaks on God's behalf. He points them back to God's word. And what was John's message? It was repent and be baptized. Repent to turn from your sins and turn to God. You see, we think that we know what we need. Right? As people, we know, or we tend to think we know what I need is, is this. But Jesus is trying to teach us that that, that actually is, is our biggest problem. That we don't know what we need. That sin by its very nature is deceptive. That it, it plays tricks with our minds, we could say. And so as sinners, we're all self-deceived. And what we need is a word from the outside to come in and inform us. We need some sort of objective outside truth to come in and shed light. And so it means that we don't even naturally understand ourselves correctly. And so what we don't see is that the big problem in our life is us. That my main problem is, is me. It makes me think of a story that a doctor friend of mine told me fairly recently. He said he's seeing this older lady that um, did not want to see him. And she was frustrated to be there because she had been going to her uh, general fa family doctor for a long time uh, for a sore throat. 
And the doctor would write her a prescription for antibiotics, and she would uh, get a little better, and you know, she'd run out, she'd go back, and he just kept doing that. And so she knew that that's what she needed, just another round of antibiotics. But finally, her general uh, practitioner doctor sent her to my friend, who's an ENT specialist. And so she was frustrated to be there because she, she knows what she needs. She's basically looking at to just give me the drugs, just give me the, the antibiotics. And he has to tell her that she doesn't need antibiotics at all, that it's not going to help her at all because she has throat cancer. She has throat cancer from smoking one and a half to two packs a day for years. And she actually even, the story takes even one more turn. She actually doesn't, she actually even argues with him that he's wrong. And her reasoning is this, two lines of reasoning. Number one, my whole family smokes and they never got cancer. And then secondly, my dad never got sick until after he quit smoking. Right, see, but I thought your family didn't get sick. So you see the point. She, hasn't, she doesn't even know what her problem is. And so she certainly doesn't know what she really needs. She's wanting to throw antibiotics at throat cancer. And it's never going to make a dent. She thinks she knows her problem and how to fix it. But she doesn't. What she needs is, is some sort of objective truth from the outside to come in and say, you don't see things clearly, but I can help you. And unfortunately, that's a great picture of what it's like to be a sinner. And what it's like to need the truth of God's word to come and speak into our lives to say, you don't actually even see the problem correctly. You don't actually even know what you need. But I can tell you what you need and I can help you. And so Jesus points these people and us to the truth of his word. Where do you find the right expectations, what you can expect from Jesus? In his word. What a beautiful thing it is that God has revealed himself and how he operates to us. So that we can know, you and I can know what's actually true in this world. We can actually know what's true about, about ourselves, about how we operate, how we tend to deceive ourselves and deceive other people. We can know what's true about God, how He operates, how He loves us, how He saves us, because He gives us reality. And so if you want to know God, if you want to know those things, if you want objective truth to come into your life, Jesus tells us pretty plainly that, that we find it in His Word. So thirdly and finally... What are the right expectations? We've seen where they are. God gives, it to, gives them to us in his word. But what are they? What, is, what does God's word tell us to expect from Jesus? Well, like we just saw uh, in that litany of things, uh, the dead being raised, uh, good news being preached to the poor, the sick being healed, um, that ultimately we should expect healing from Jesus. And, and maybe... Maybe better said, to put it more completely, what we can expect from Jesus is that he's going to come, that he did come and is going to come again to put things back to right. 
that Jesus as the Messiah, as the king of, of the universe and its savior, is going to put everything back to the way it's supposed to be. Because you see, one of the main passages in the Old Testament that Jesus is pulling from is Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. And you can read about Jesus preaching a little sermon on this in Luke, uh, Luke 4. In Luke 4, it says, Jesus stands up and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you see, what's interesting about that is that the year of the Lord's favor also comes from the Old Testament, from Leviticus, 20, Leviticus 25, and it refers to the year of Jubilee. And what happened in the year of Jubilee was that God commanded Israel every 50th year of their existence, every 50th year that rolled around, everything went back the way it was supposed to be. If you had debts, they were forgiven. If you had sold things off to people to pay off debts, you got it back. All the slaves were released. Prisoners were released. Land that had switched hands, it all went back to its original owner. Everything went back to the way it was supposed to be. Interestingly enough, there's, there's actually no record of Israel ever doing that. But God commanded that they have this sort of semi-ultimate rest for the land every 50th year. That everything would go back. And so Jesus stands up and says, that's what I came to do. I came to ultimately put everything back the way it's supposed to be. I came to fix all the hurts, right all the wrongs. But you have to keep in mind what we've just said, that Scripture reminds us is our biggest problem, which is us, that we're sinners. So we have to understand that, that what Jesus is saying, that at least for the here and now, He's come to put, put us back to right spiritually. And in some ways, that's where John the Baptist was, was going wrong. Because he's looking and saying, I, put, put this back to right, I'm still in jail. And one day Jesus will. But he's come, he's come to fix us on the inside. He's come to fix our biggest problem, which is the fact that in our natural state, we hate God. That we're his enemies, the Bible says. He comes to fix our real problem. Just like my doctor friend didn't just tell this woman the real problem and send her on her way. He didn't just say, real problem, oh, wow. That would have been bad. Your real problem is that you have throat cancer. Good luck with that. No. He said, your real problem is that you have throat cancer. And humanly speaking, of course, I can fix that. I can help you with that. That's what Jesus does. He comes to put things back to right. And so let me end with this. How does he do that? How does he, how does he fix us? How does he heal us? And that's why I read that last part. It's what we see in verses 28 through 29. Jesus comes to put us back to right by giving us rest. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Like we talked about at the beginning, we tend to take something, anything, maybe even Jesus, and basically say, you will be God to me, and you'll do it in this way. I'll worship you, but you're going you're gonna to do, th- do these things for me. You're going to jump through these hoops. And Jesus is showing us that, that if, when we operate like that, it's nothing but slavery. Think about it. If we look at, if the student that uh, looks at life and says, looks at his grades and says, basically, I'm going to worship my grades. I'm going to give my life to grades and you're going to bless me by giving me good grades and giving me the things in life I want. But that only works when what? When you make good grades. And so what it means is that you're constantly on that treadmill. You've got to study. You've got to, you've got to study one more hour and one more hour. You give yourself. If you make money, you're God and say, you're going to bless me in this way. But what does it do? It just puts you on the treadmill. You have to work for it. It's one more dollar. It's one more hour at work. They make us work. If it's acceptance, we end up working to fit in, on and on. But Jesus comes along, the real Savior of people, and He says, you don't have to work for me. In fact, in one sense, it only hurts if you try to work. Because I come to do this for you. I come to give you rest from yourself. You don't have to work for this. You don't earn this. It's just a gift. I come to give you rest. And so if you want, to, if you want Jesus to come and, and make you whatever, you want Jesus to make you funny or smart or skinny or athletic or to fit in, or you want Jesus to come and heal you physically, whatever it is, what you have to see is that Jesus comes, Jesus comes and, and heals you by giving you rest. You don't have to work to fit in. He just gives you acceptance. You might want Jesus to come and take away that that one sin you can't beat because it makes you feel like you're not a Christian. But Jesus just comes and gives you rest from your guilt so that you can just trust Him in the midst of it, maybe. And He can give you the rest for your soul because He comes to do what we can't do for ourselves. He comes and He lives a perfect life of absolute righteousness and He offers it to us. And He comes and He dies the death on the cross that we all deserve to die. And He does it for us in our place. So that we can just fall back into His arms and and rest. And who's it for? It's for the children. It's for the children. It's for actually the very same people that he was talking about that don't get it a lot of the time. That expect Jesus to do this. Expect their playmates to do this and they don't. He said it's for people just like that. And so if you know that that's true about you, that you tend to expect things from Jesus and don't like it when he doesn't operate on your terms, then there's great news for you this morning. That Jesus loves you. And he gave himself for you. 
and he offers himself to you this morning. Do you know him? Because that's an invitation to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, first we have to say, we have to ask your forgiveness. We have to confess that we do often, and in some ways all the time, expect things from you that are not not what you're going to provide. And the reason you're not going to provide the way we expect is because you love us so much more than that. So Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you would love us in spite of ourselves. Father, we pray that you would give us right expectations of you. To know that life will be fraught with difficulty, that we can expect that, but we can expect you to sustain us through it. We can expect you to grow us through it because you love us. And Jesus, we pray this, all of this, in your name. Amen.